You're listening to the preaching ministry of Redemption Bible Church in New Braunfels, Texas, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you seek to worship Christ, walk with Christ, and work for Christ, all to the glory of God. For more information about our church, please visit redemption.bible. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you soon at one of our upcoming worship services. I'm glad to bring the word this morning to you. I invite you to open up to John 10. We're going to be starting verse 22. If you do not have a Bible, stick your hand up. We're happy to get you one uh, because we want to read God's word together this morning. So, Who was your hero when you were growing up? Who did you want to be like? Maybe it was a fictional character you watched on TV. Maybe it was a professional athlete or a family member, or a mentor, or a coach, or a teacher. For me, one of them was my grandfather. He was a doctor. He was a strong man of faith. And most importantly to me, when I was a kid, he loved the Houston Astros. (laughs) I would go over, watch games with him. And in fact, he helped teach me how to read, because we would read the recaps of the Houston Astros games in the newspaper where my love for the Houston Astros comes from. Not to mention, he also gave us dollars when we came to see him, and so I got paid to watch sports. It was awesome. Another hero of mine came from the fictional side of things, came from the Power Rangers. Go, go, Power Rangers. They were regular human beings that dealt with normal life stuff, but then they would morph into these superheroes fighting to protect the Earth. And my favorite Power Ranger was Tommy, the Green Ranger. Now, he wasn't one of the original Power Rangers. In fact, he was on the bad side, fighting against them, but then he came over to the good side and fought with them to defend the Earth. I remember I would rush home from school so excited to watch, watch Power Rangers and negotiate with my mom and when I had to do my homework so that I could get the Power Rangers in. I remember going to all the live shows, collecting the action figures, and I'm pretty sure I dressed up as the Green Power Ranger like three or four times for Halloween. Tommy, the Green Power Ranger, was my hero. Well, in today's passage, Jesus is the hero like he always is but he's the greatest hero, much better than the Green Power Ranger, and we're going to see how. So let's dive into God's Word and read it together. Starting in verse 22, John 10, starting in verse 22. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are at the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law? 
I said you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the son of God? If I am not doing the works of my father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the father is in me and I am in the father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. And many believed in him there. This is God's word for God's people. If there's one thing you need to remember from this passage, if there's one thing that I want you to write down and take home with you, that the eternal one is the only one that gives eternal life. There's nothing we can do. There's no one else, not ourselves, not our family, not our community, not our friends that can give us eternal life. Only one, Jesus, the eternal one. But not only does he give us eternal life, but the eternal one is the only one that keeps us truly safe. That's our first point this morning. And we're going to look at verses 24 through 29. Don't worry. We're going to come back to 22 and 23 in a little bit. But looking at those verses, the Jews are done playing games. Tell us plainly, quit beating around the bush, quit playing games. We want to know, are you the long-awaited Messiah? How does Jesus respond? Jesus says, I already have. I, I'm, I haven't beat around the bush at all. I have already shown you through my works. So the Old Testament has a lot of prophecies about what the Messiah is going to do. One of them comes from Isaiah 35. I'm going to read it for you in a second. But this is a prophecy about what the Messiah is going to do in his first coming. And now on this side of the cross, we know in his second coming as well, more fully. But Isaiah 35, 4 through 6 says this. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then, the, then shall the lame man leap like deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy for waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Hopefully some of that sounds familiar. We've been going through John for a little while and even just in the gospel of John, we have seen the eyes of the blind opened a few weeks ago in John chapter nine. And then we saw the lame walk after 28 years of being an invalid in John chapter five. That's direct fulfillment of some of Isaiah 35. But that's not the only power we see in John. We see more miracles happen. We see the water change into wine in John chapter 2. And not just ordinary wine, the best wine, abundant wine. We see Jesus heal the official son in John 4 from a long way off by just the power of his word. We see Jesus take a small amount of food and feed thousands in John chapter 6. We're going to see a final sign next week, spoiler alert, when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. So to go back to the passage, the answer is so obvious. Look at what I've done. I haven't beat around the bush. I am the long-awaited Messiah. I am the Christ. That's what he's saying. How can you not see it? Well, it's because they're not part of his flock. They aren't his sheep. And the way these next verses read, it implies that Christ is drawing them near to himself before they make a choice to even follow him. 
the same idea in, in John, John 6, where no one can come to Christ except who the Father draws in. We shouldn't think that we weren't chosen by God. We shouldn't think that he's going to reject us. He promises to receive everyone who comes to him for salvation. But it's paradoxical because we make our choice, but really it was God bringing us into his flock all along. And once you are a part of his flock, you're his forever. Nothing can take you away from him. Yes, we are talking about eternal security from the eternal one. Eternal life can never be taken away from someone that truly believes in who God is and what Christ has done for them. If you're asking the question, am I really saved? It's a good question. Wrestle with it. It shows you care. But once you are saved, you are always saved. We cannot lose our salvation because we are not the ones that gave ourselves salvation. How amazing is that? God did all the work to keep us safe for all of eternity. Redemption, where are you not resting in the safety of the Lord's hands? Where are you not following the voice of the good shepherd? If you are not following the voice of the good shepherd, the voice of Jesus, I guarantee you are following someone or something else. We, when we believe we are safe for all of eternity, but that does not mean there are not other shepherds calling us, trying to get us to turn away from the good shepherd. What do these other shepherds look like? What is something that we turn to and follow rather than following Christ? For me, it's the idea of control. I say that. It's me trying to be in control. Because I know in my head God's in control of all things, but my actions don't match that knowledge. I twist and turn things and I manipulate them or I look at them from a different angle to achieve the outcome that I want. I try and look around the corner and predict what's coming so that I can stop it so that I can keep going this way. And then if something's out of my control, I just start to focus on something else that I can't control. I often think I'm in way more control than I really am. And then I'm reminded that I'm not in control over and over again. One of the biggest moments in my life that I was reminded I was not in control was a couple of years ago. Uh, Melissa and I, my dad and I do business together and we're going to a business trip to Rhode Island. Uh, and Melissa and my mom were going to go with us. We're going to do a couple days on the front end of the trip uh, and spend some time together, hang out, see Rhode Island, experience an area we hadn't been to. And then we we're going to send my mom and Melissa home uh, and we were going to do our business trip. Well, on the way there, as we were about to land, my mom comes back to me in the plane and says, hey, when we land, we're going to the hospital. Your dad has massive stomach pains. My dad had a small surgery procedure about a week before, um, and what had happened was it resulted in necrotizing pancreatitis. What that means is enzymes are eating at his own pancreas. His pancreas is eating itself, basically. This turned our whole trip and worlds upside down. We, my dad didn't see anything but the window in the hospital for the whole time we were in Rhode Island. He actually spent months in the hospital. We were able to fly him home to San Antonio, but then he went straight to the hospital in San Antonio. There was complication after complication. He checked all the boxes of things that could go wrong, some multiple times. 
And there were multiple times I thought he was going to die. I remember driving to the hospital in the middle of the night because we thought for sure he was dying. Now, I praise the Lord that my dad is fully healed, 100% healed, something the doctor said would never happen. But that moment reminds me just how little control I have. My longing for control fails me time and time again because it is not the true shepherd. It's not the eternal shepherd. It's not the good shepherd. What is the shepherd you turn to too often? How, often, how do you pursue it? How does it fail you? When we recognize those other shepherds in our life, how do we stop listening to them? Well, the answer to that last question comes a little later in John. John 15, we abide. We dwell with the Lord. We stay with the Lord. We spend time with him continually so that we learn to recognize his voice amidst all the others. We read, we pray. He's given us his word that teaches us and then we connect to him personally through prayer. It can't be rote. It can't be out of obligation. And that's hard to do. But it needs to be continual day and night connection with the eternal God of the universe. Too often, we act like God is a gas station. We pull in. We fill up our tank to get us till our tank runs empty again. And we come back ready when we're empty. Maybe we pull up to the gas station and we're running late. We fill up just enough to get us to our next stop. We need to stop treating God like a gas station. Instead, we need to be trolley cars. There's a picture of a trolley car that's going to pop up on the screen right here to give you an example of what I mean. But you see that black thing in the back? That is connected to the power source. It doesn't stop. It doesn't need to. It doesn't need to refuel on gas because it is always connected to the power source. That's what I mean by abiding. We are always being powered by the Lord. We're always connected to the Lord. Because Jesus is the shepherd who never fails. His hands never fail. We are safe forever. And even death cannot harm us. The eternal one is the only one that keeps us truly safe. And he keeps us safe for all of eternity. How incredible is that? And in this passage, we're going to see even more proof of how incredible Jesus is, which brings me to my second point, that the eternal one is the best and forever hero. We're going to back up to verses 22 and 23 as John sets the stage between the showdown between the Jews and Jesus. It talks about the Feast of Dedication and the Colonnade of Solomon. And all of this is setting up the Jews to have the wrong expectations of who Jesus is. The Feast of Dedication is actually not one of the God-ordained feasts of the Old Testament. If you're not quite sure what it is, I bet you have an idea what it is because its more common name is Hanukkah. At that, it stems from the Maccabean Revolt where Israel was under the Seleucid Empire and what they had done is they'd come over and take, taken over the Temple of God and brought in all this idolatry to it and made the Jews bow down to Greek gods. Amidst the persecution, four men led by Judah Maccabee brought up this group of religious freedom fighters called the Maccabees, and they led a revolt. And after years and years 
they achieved what was seemingly impossible, deliverance and freedom and victory. After gaining their deliverance, they cleansed the temple to try to get it ready for rededication. And at this rededication, they were going to light the flame at the altar. Leviticus 6, 12 through 13 talks about how this flame is to never go out. But when they were going to light the flame at the altar, they only had enough oil for one day. The rest was defiled by the Greeks and had to become pure and take seven days to do that. They still lit it. And God had a miraculous provision and allowed that oil to last for eight days until more oil could come. The Feast of Dedication celebrates the deliverance of the victory from the, for the Maccabees and for the miraculous provision of oil. And you see that they're standing or walking in the colonnade of Solomon. And that was originally built to demonstrate the strength of Israel. And now it's a mockery. Israel, you are so strong, you can't even rule yourself. Because the Romans were, had conquered them and were ruling them at the time. So this setting around the feast and the location gives us the background into why the Jews are questioning Jesus. This is not the Messiah that they expected. They expected a military ruler. They expected freedom from the Romans for Israel to take back their rightful place and to rule and to reign forever. They wanted Jesus to be the Maccabees and restore Israel, physically deliver them from the Romans and restore Israel to the greatness that the colonnade was supposed to represent. That's what they wanted. But that's not who Jesus is. Jesus is different and better than their expectations. Right on the heels of our eternal security in verse 29, by the one who is greater than all, Jesus says that I and the Father are one. This is pointing the Jews directly back to the Shema, back to Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5, where it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. So Jesus' words here are claiming deity. It's why they want to stone him in verse 33, because he's claiming equality with God. He's saying that he was there in the very beginning that he is part of the Trinity that was there since before creation. He is claiming to be the creator, not the created. It isn't his works that they want to stone him for. It's his claim of who he is and that he isn't who they expected. We know that Jesus didn't come to free the Israelites from Roman rule. Jesus wasn't there to make Israel the strongest country in the world. He came to save sinners, and he came to save the world. He didn't come as a military hero. He came as a spiritual hero, a forever hero. That's why they want to kill him. He isn't who they wanted. He isn't who they expected, and so they don't believe the truth. In response to their claim of blasphemy, Jesus refers and uses their own scripture in here. Psalm 82 I'm going to have you flip over there, so go ahead and start flipping. It's towards the middle of your Bible. Um, Psalm 82, if you've gotten to Proverbs or the prophets you've gone to, you, you have not gone far enough from where we are. So he's using Psalm 82, their own scripture, in his defense. Flip there with you. We're only going to read a couple verses. Psalm 82, 6 and 7, but I want you to see it um, because it helps to visualize it. I said, you are gods, sons of the Most High, all of you. 
Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. So the rest of the context of Psalm, uh, Psalm 82 is talking about how God has appointed authority on earth, and they are representations of him. That's what, that's what they're using the word God for, those people with authority that are representing God. And as verse, uh, verse 7 talks about, they're going to fall like any prince. They're mortal. They are going to fail. At some point, they're going to die, and they're going to be accountable for how they used their authority as well. So why does Jesus use this here? Let me be clear. He is not saying that there are other gods than the one true God. That is not what he is saying. He's responding to their claim and, rem- and remind of their claim of blasphemy, and he's reminding them, your scripture uses the word God to describe men of authority. You are wanting to stone me for something that your own scripture uses. And don't miss this. I want you to underline it, circle it, put stars next to it, whatever you want to do. Never read John 10 again without missing this truth, because right in the middle of there, at the end of verse 35, and scripture cannot be broken. The word of God has authority. That's why he's using it to defend himself. Fully reliable, fully trustworthy. Every single word. So Jesus uses it to defend himself, but he takes it even further. If scripture uses the word God, little g, to describe men with authority, how much more should the word God, big G, to be used, should be used to describe the one who God sent? That's what verse 36 is talking about. Jesus was given authority by his father as he was sent into the world and consecrated by him. And as the previous verse right before that in verse 37 show, it is the word and his works that prove he is the son of God, that he is one with the father, that he is part of that triune God, the eternal one that has been there since the very beginning. Jesus is who he claims he is, no matter how how earth shattering it is to their expectations or beliefs. Take a minute and think back to a time when you were really excited for something. You probably imagined it in your mind ahead of time. Oh, I see it playing out this way. It's going to be so great. How'd it turn out? Oftentimes, when we expect something to be a certain way, it's different in in reality. And most of the time, that disappoints us. For me, one of those was our uh, annual beach trip that we take with my family. I grew up going to the beach. It's a place of great memories. Uh, I love being there with my family. We still talk about some of this crazy stuff that we did when we were younger. And now we take all of our families together at least once a year to go to the beach and spend time together. When we had Jake and Trip, I was so excited to continue this tradition and for Jake and Trip to grow up having fond memories of the beach and loving going there. I was excited for Trip to enjoy the boat, riding on the boat and playing at the beach in the water. And Jake wasn't even one yet, so I was, I don't know what I was expecting, but <laughs> some, eating sand, great pictures. Just, just really, I wanted to look back and be like, man, this is the trip that started everything. So my expectations were sky high. That was not reality. It was miserable. Jake did not sleep at all. We, the house is full with my family that we were 
added. So Jake was in the pack and play in the closet in the room Melissa and I slept in. But the problem with that closet, it has an air vent in it. And so it was freezing cold no matter what the temperature gauge said. I'm not lying. It was about 60 degrees in that room at all times. Jake woke up every 30 minutes. I'm not kidding. It was miserable. And Melissa and I are just like five feet from him. It's not like we had a lot of separation. So we didn't sleep at all. In fact, it was so miserable, we left early. This is not the trip we were expecting. We're out, we're going home. That trip did not live up to my expectations. And oftentimes our expectations don't line up with reality. And reality usually falls short of what we expected. That's the feeling that outraged the Jews. We expect our Messiah to be this, but he's actually this, and now I'm mad. This can't be our Messiah. He's not saving us. At least not the way they thought. We know he was saving them all along. Jesus lived the life that we were supposed to live. He died the death that we deserve to die. And he rose again on the third day, conquering death and providing a path to new life when we repent and believe. That's not what they expected. They wanted freedom, they wanted power, but they wanted it in a worldly sense. Jesus didn't meet those expectations, but unlike in our circumstances, Jesus was better than what they expected. Where do you have wrong expectations of Jesus? What type of hero do you expect Jesus to be? Do you expect him to bless your retirement? To give him everything you could ever wanted, all the stuff that you want to do when you want to do it? Do you expect Jesus to give you finances beyond abundance? More than you could dream of to make your life comfortable. Do you expect him to help you succeed in your job? Climb the ladder. Do better every day. Be acknowledged for that and promoted for that. How do your wrong expectations affect the way that you treat God or think of God? We all have false expectations of Jesus. We all have spots where we expect something of Jesus that wasn't promised. But Jesus is a better hero than you could have dreamed of. He is better than the rescue that you are searching for. His freedom is eternal. He knew and loved you from the beginning of time. He chose you. He called you. He did all the work to save you from your sin. He is the one that humbled himself, removing himself from his throne of glory in heaven to come to earth, to be fully man and fully God. And he was obedient to the point of death even death on a cross, because he loves you. When you were an enemy of God, he saved you for eternity. What better rescue could there be? We're going to flip over to Romans 8. This is going to be a little later in your Bible, right after Acts, before you get to Corinthians or Ephesians or Galatians. I encourage you to flip there now, because I want, you, I want to read Paul's word, words together as we see just how great our hero is. So we're flipping over to Romans 8. We're going to be in, starting in verse 31. 
and I'll read it with you. I'll follow along with me. Romans 8, starting in verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who is indeed interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither life, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus is the best and forever hero. So what do we do with this? We know Jesus is the eternal one who is the only one that gives eternal life. We know that Jesus is the only one that keeps us truly safe. And we know that the eternal one is the best and forever hero. And that brings me to my last point. The eternal one is the one we must respond to we look back at the passage and starting in verse 39 and finishing the chapter, after all of this, the proof from the trustworthy, correct, right word of God and the works of Christ, there are two reactions that people have. In verse 39, the Jews still try to arrest him. They say, good argument, but nope, you're wrong, we're right, you aren't who you say you are. And we see Jesus go across the Jordan and many come to him and believe in him. Here's the thing. You can't stay in the middle on this. There isn't a middle option. There's not a politically correct option. You have to choose how to respond. When you believe not just your first step of salvation, although I pray that is happening today if it hasn't happened before, but when you choose to believe every day, it's a step of faith. That's what sanctification is. It's a process throughout our lives, day after day where we put off more and more of our own desires and put on more and more of God's desires. It isn't safe, according to the world. It isn't easy, but the truth is undeniable and has to move us to action. What truths in this passage are undeniable that we need to read, believe? That Jesus is God. That we are secured forever by his work that he was set out to do and that his word can never be broken. And what is the action that it needs to spur us to? There's a lot of them, a list of them. But I'm going to encourage you with two of them. One of them, Pastor Eric encourages us all the time to do, and I want to stress it again. Preach yourself the gospel every day. Out loud, in the morning. Remind yourself of God's greatness and our sinfulness, and his great mercy and love for us, and how we are a new creation because of the work that he did. Do it over and over again, because we are forgetful people. We need that reminder. We need it to transform our hearts, because our hearts are stubborn. 
Another one I encourage you is to memorize scripture. It's a habit that a lot of us neglect, including myself, way too often. But it is amazing how transformative it can be. When something is going on or you're in a discussion or a conversation with something, the Spirit's going to remind you of the truths you've hidden in your heart from his word rather than your own thoughts, emotions, or feelings. Scripture is going to come pouring out of you. You must respond to the truth that sits before you, his word and his work. My prayer is that the Lord reveals where we don't fully believe. Lord, help our unbelief. Let us pray. God in heaven, you are so good. We are so thankful for you, for our hero, the forever hero that came to save the world, that came to save us from our sin that paid the penalty that we deserved. God, I pray that we start to recognize the other shepherds in our life that are calling out to us and we don't turn our back on you, but we run to the good shepherd, the true shepherd. God, I pray that we recognize where we have false expectations of who you are and what you're supposed to do for us and that we cling to the promises that scripture gives us. God, there is no one like you. None of our heroes here measure up to anything that you have done or will do. Help us to remember that truth. Help us to adore you every day. Being thankful for what you've done and what you continue to do in our lives. Father God, we love you. It's your name we pray. Amen.